Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we'll have one song, and Mike has announcements. I just realized David wasn't here. Mike has announcements, uh, two more songs, and then Casey will have our Devo this evening. Our first song is number 937. If you would, let's stand for this song, please. 937, I stand in awe. You are beautiful beyond Good evening. Hope everyone's having a good week. Just a few announcements before our Devo. Uh, the Hometown Love uh, event that was scheduled for this Saturday at the fairgrounds has been postponed due to the uh, rainy weather it was supposed to have Saturday, and it's um, been pushed back until May 20th. Also, this Sunday, if you are interested in going on the family mission trip, that'll be uh, in July, middle of July, to Beckley. Uh, there'll be a brief meeting after services. Also, just uh, put on your calendar a reminder that uh, April 30th will be the potluck luncheon and Life Group 3, this is Jeremy and Dickie's group, will be in charge of cleanup. 
Also, April 24th through the 26th, there'll be a gospel meeting at Flatwoods. And looking ahead to May, uh, May 21st will be our senior reception. That'll be for our graduating high school seniors. Also, uh, Life Group One, this is Rick and Chad's Life Group, will have their May meeting on May 21st following morning services, and that'll be in the old auditorium. And also, reminder that the mowing schedule has been posted out in the foyer, so if you can help out with mowing, uh, take a look at the schedule, and, and please sign up. I know Greg would appreciate that. Also, uh, just a reminder on the prayer list, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Jim Haney, Terry Leap, and Amber Spitzer in our prayers. Also, Judy Gerald, she's still having some issues with her heart, uh, having some heart rate issues, and she has some blood work tomorrow, so let's keep Judy in our prayers. Are there any other announcements that need to be made at this time, Wanda? Okay. Okay. Okay, so the ladies' um, meeting that usually takes place tomorrow morning has been postponed and uh, probably going to push it back until get through all the summer, busy summer activities. So we'll let you know when that's going to resume. If there's no other announcements, let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we come to you at this time thanking you for being our God. We thank you for the beautiful day that you have blessed us with, for this time of the year, for the change in seasons and the new life that we see around us, Father. We're just, uh, just reminded of, of you, the creator, and, and see your presence all around us, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your love that was shown to us through your son, Jesus, and thank you for the hope that we have through him. Father, we thank you for our time here this evening, for the opportunity to come together to sing praises to you, to worship you, to study from your word, and we thank you for your word that you you provide us, Father, that allows us to know you better, to um, know the way that we should be uh, conducting ourselves, the roadmap that we need to get through this life, Father. We just pray that we'll grow uh, through our time here this evening, through our study, that we'll grow in faith, that we'll increase our knowledge, that we can take those things and um, share it with those around us, Father, our community, that we can bring more people to, to know you, to know the hope that we have in you, Father, and we thank you for that. And Father, we are mindful of so many that are dealing with various health issues, those that have been mentioned this evening, those that are in our bulletin. Pray that you will be with each of them. Also be with our shut-ins, Father, those that want to be with us but are unable to due to various issues, and just pray that you will bless them and, and strengthen and comfort them, Father. Father, just uh, continue to be with us uh, this evening, be with our time here, pray that everything that we do pleases you and that we use our time wisely to just to uh, increase our relationships uh, with each other and, and grow closer to you, Father. Lord, we are mindful that we do sin and, and fall short so many times, and we just ask you to forgive us when we do so. And it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. Our next song is How Deep the Father's Love. How Deep the Father's Love.
our song before our lesson this evening is number 694. 694 to Canaan's land, I'm on my way. To Canaan's land, I'm on my way, where the Song of invitation be number 103. Come to Jesus. There it is. Okay. Um, since evangelism is our theme for this year, I wanted to, to use that as a theme for my devotional this evening. Um, you know, we've got a lot of of mission work going on this summer. Um, so I tried to, you know, putting this together, think about, you know, what was the, the mission work that was going on in the first century, right? What was the early church? What, 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 were their, what was their evangelistic outreach like? And, you know, you read Acts and you, talk, and you see some of the discussions about, uh, you know, evangelizing to the, the Jewish community, evangelizing to the Gentiles, and you know, one of the communities that I don't know that we, we think about that much, because maybe it makes us uncomfortable, were some of the pagan communities within the ancient world. Uh, and when you look at the book of Revelation specifically, uh, you can look at some of the themes in that book that kind of have some analogs to a lot of pagan beliefs. So... No, and I don't know this to be true. It's a theory I've got um, because, you know, when we think about revelation, we usually think, of, you know, it says it's prophecy. So we think, is it literal prophecy or is it metaphorical prophecy, right? Is it, is it uh, you know, are, are there literally going to be four horsemen coming down from heaven to, to, you know, lay waste to earth and cause bad times? Are there, 
You know, are we literally going to be uh, marked with the number 666 or we can't, you know, engage in business? Or is that a metaphor for something else that's, that's going to come in the end times? Uh, there's also theories out there that Revelation is allegory. It's political commentary about what was happening in the first century Roman Empire. Uh, but I think, like I said, when you look at some of this imagery, these this fantastical images, you know, the, 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 the plagues and the, the, you know, the beasts that come out of the earth, that really does echo with some of these pagan communities. And I've got some examples here I want to walk through because I think what Revelation does is it lays out a roadmap to how to evangelize to those communities that don't necessarily, that, that might even be a little hostile to this notion of, of Christ's uh, power coming through his sacrifice. You know, we recognize that his love uh, drove his sacrifice so that way we receive that same grace, right? But these, these alternative communities may see that as weak. Um, you know, that's not, that's not a God they want to worship. They want to worship somebody who's, who's strong and mighty and will lead them. And I think maybe that's what Revelation does. And I've got some examples here uh, we can walk through. You know, if you look at the climax of Revelation, uh, you know, it's this notion of a Jesus leading, uh, you know, the armies of heaven to fight against Satan and his, uh, his you know, armies on earth, you know, the, the, the armies of evil uh, among, that have been corrupted on earth. Um, if look at Revelation 19. I saw heaven standing open and there was before me a white horse whose rider was called faithful and true with justice he judges and wages war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but he he himself he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of god the armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen white and clean Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. You know, that's, that's not the depiction we typically think of, of Jesus when we look at just the Gospels, right? That, that was a, a more of a, a, a loving, a, a thoughtful God who wants to, to lead people to salvation through love and grace. Not a conquering hero. Uh, skip ahead to verse 19, uh, talks about the war against, uh, you know, the armies of earth. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed these signs on his behalf with these signs, he deluded those who'd received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Jesus is the conquering hero. Skip ahead to verse 20, or chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain, he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So there is this image here of the conquering heavenly warrior battling the evil dragon on behalf of good versus evil. And the thing about this theme is we have lots of different uh, uh, copies of that, that same theme throughout the pagan world not just the pagan world. Uh, you can see here, uh, you know, you have a medieval version of that. This is uh, the story of St. George and the dragon. So it's actually a, a Christian version of this tale. Not necessarily Jesus conquering the dragon, but it, it's a holy warrior. 
Um, you have here the same almost exact image using ancient Egyptian iconography with the Egyptian gods with, and the crocodile serving as the dragon. The really interesting one, though, I think, is the ancient Babylonian version of this, which is their god Marduk slaying their dragon Tiamat. Uh, and, you know, this, this dates back several you know, thousand years before the time of Christ. What's interesting, I think, about this Babylonian tale is if, if you open your, your books or your Bible to the book of Daniel, you'll only see 12 chapters. Some later translations of the book of Daniel from the original Hebrew into Greek, and by later it's like 2nd century A.D., actually include 14 chapters. The two extra chapters include a version of this uh, Marduk slaying Tiamat uh, tale, but, it's, but Daniel, as a prophet of God, is proving that Marduk is a false god, and then Daniel actually goes out and slays the dragon, proving that God triumphs over evil, not this false god Marduk. And again, 2nd century A.D., the early church would have been familiar with that. So, so this is happening contemporaneously to the time that Revelation is being authored. Uh, it's not just that, though. We got more. Uh-oh. Did I break it? It's not clicking. There we go. Okay. So if you go to the first chapter of Revelation, right, this is right off the bat. So that's the dragon story. That's the climax. That's the end of the tale. Beginning of the tale. We have this symbol of Jesus holding seven stars. Maybe. Gotta break it again. <laughs> there we go. Oh, what did I do? Now I really did break it. There we go. Okay. Uh, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, uh, and I saw the seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, uh, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash on his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, white as snow. His eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing water. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. Again, there's that image of Jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth, eyes blazing. Right? It's the same image we see at the end. It's more of a warrior uh, depiction of Jesus. But the seven stars... You know, why seven stars? Well, you know, if you read a little bit more, it tells you, right? Uh, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So we have the seven churches in Asia Minor to which the letters within chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation were authored. That's the seven lampstands, and the seven stars are the angels, right? Well, why stars? Why stars specifically for that image? Interestingly, this, this theme of seven stars held ve was very significant in ancient pagan astronomy. There were several celestial events that were described as being seven stars, uh, including the what they call the classical planets, which are basically the five objects in the sky that move the most, sun, moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Uh, several constellations, the Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, and the constellation Orion are all described in various uh, pagan 
astronomy systems as being seven, collections of seven stars. Another one is the Pleiades star cluster, and that's in the constellation Taurus. It's specifically referred to in several ancient sources as being the seven, the seven heavenly stars, or the seven sisters. Uh, and I think that one's relevant. We'll come back to that in a minute. The other one I want to mention here, the other image that I think has a very strong parallel in the pagan world, are the four living creatures. So this is from chapter 4 of Revelation. So chapter 1, here's Jesus, seven lamps stand, seven stars. Chapter 2 and 3 are the letters to the seven churches. Chapter 4 is describing the throne room of God. And surrounding that throne room, it says in Revelation 4, verse 6, in the center around the throne uh, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wing. So the four creatures, lion, ox, man, and an eagle. Significant. Here's some depictions of that in uh, various Christian artworks. Um, most scholars think this is a reference to Ezekiel 1, where uh, the prophet Ezekiel describes a, the angels as having, uh, I believe that actually in, in Ezekiel it's with uh, four wings, and it's one creature with multiple faces, the face of a man, an ox, a lion, and an eagle. Um, Ezekiel written during the Babylonian captivity. So there we have the parallel to Babel, ancient Babylon again. But that's not the only place where you see this combination of these four creatures in the ancient world. Um, the Egyptian Sphinx is probably the best well-known version of this, which is a combination of man and lion. The Greek version of the Sphinx adds eagle's wings to this. In ancient Babylon, again, there we go, there was a creature called the Lamassu that is depicted in a lot of their religious art, which has the head of a man, body of a lion, uh, wings of an eagle, and feet of a bull. It's even depicted in the ancient zodiac. Again, back to the stars. Being uh, Aquarius representing winter, uh, Taurus representing spring, Leo the lion representing summer, and Scorpio representing fall. Now, wait a second, Scorpio is a scorpion, not an eagle, right? Ah, in a lot of ancient pagan cultures, uh, Scorpio actually had two animals associated with it. The scorpion was considered to be an immature Scorpio, and an eagle was considered to be a more mature Scorpio. So the, the, the astronomical significance is there for these four creatures being combined into one depiction. So with this being out there, is there a pagan community that may have had specific significance to John on Patmos as he's writing this, this letter? Is there a specific pagan community maybe he's wanting to reach out to with this work, that he's wanting to, to open the door to being receptive to the gospel of Jesus? And I think there is. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's the cult of Mithras, or the Mithraic Mysteries. Um, this was a Roman cult or secret society. Uh, it was very much an underground society, literally. Uh, 
there are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of these temples that have been found throughout the ancient Roman Empire. Um, almost all of them exist underground for some reason, in caves, in catacombs. Um, scholars don't really know why, uh, but that's just how they, that's, that was their place of worship. Uh, it has its origins in ancient Persia, and it was especially popular among Roman soldiers, the type of person who might be stationed on an island where a certain Christian author is exiled, might be stationed there as guards. Uh, and it was also uh, very much a contemporary to, to the early church. Uh, the cult of Mithras rivaled the early church in many ways. Like I said, hundreds of these uh, underground temples uh, throughout the ancient Roman world. Um, the early church would have very much been aware of this cult, very much so. Uh, up until probably the early 4th century when uh, the emperor Constantine converted to Christianity and basically shut down all the pagan worship, uh, this would have been right there as, as a competitor to the early church. Okay, where this gets real interesting. The central figure in all these underground temples is an image like this. Uh, they call this a taroctony. I think that's how you pronounce it. But what you see here, uh, a man slaughtering a bull. You see the scorpion beneath the, the hind legs of the uh, the bull. You see a serpent there along the bottom, right? So we've had all, all of those creatures somehow tied in here in the imagery of Revelation. Uh, this figure uh, to the bottom right has been interpreted as a dog, not a lion, but don't worry. The second most prominent figure in all these, on all these temples is this lion-headed man figure with wings. Okay, so this, this, again, this imagery would have been absolutely essential to the, this pagan worship practice. Uh, another, usually these depictions are actually in stone, not in uh, painted frescoes or anything like that. Um, oh, I wanted to back up. I don't know if you can see this, but count the stars on uh, the cape of the man. I think there's seven there. Seven stars. And again, I don't know if you can see it on this well, but there are seven stars in the sky here depicted in this icon. And if you notice, uh, the, the blade, the man's blade is going into the bull's shoulder behind the bull. That's the position of the Pleiades, the seven stars, in the constellation Taurus. Okay, so, so what? Okay, this is interesting. This is, this is cool, fun. Well, maybe it's not cool. I don't know. It's cool to me. This is fun information, right? So why do we care? What, what does this have to do with evangelism? Think about today. Think about the world we live in. Think about all those things out there that are outright hostile to the church. Are we excused due to their hostility from not attempting some sort of outreach to them? Are we allowed as Christians, as people of faith, to say, you know what, it's too dangerous for me to engage in that outreach? Right? Or is that still a, a soul there that we need to try to reach some way? 
Think what Revelation here does, is it gives us a model for evangelizing to those non-traditional communities, those non-traditional converts, right? We're going beyond Jews versus Gentiles here. This is, this is completely different foundations for faith, maybe people who lack faith entirely, who mock faith, right? Can we still open the door there for them to, to understand the love of Jesus and the grace and the salvation that we get from him? And I think what Revelation is doing here is a, is a pre-step, right? We know the five steps of salvation, right? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. As we're engaged in evangelistic outreach, there's an extra step we have to add, and that is to pique their interest first, right? You've got to get, you've got to open that door somehow. You've got to get your foot in the door before you can really talk about the gospel. You've got to get them listening to you before they can hear what you're saying. Um, I think my go-to analog here, modern-day analog, would be uh, the, the works of C.S. Lewis uh, in Chronicles of Narnia, if you're familiar with those. Those books are written as fantasy novels. But C.S. Lewis wrote them from a Christian perspective. They are direct, uh, 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 not even metaphors, it, it's, it's right there. Like, uh, it, is, it, is, it is a tale of Jesus, but it's told through a children's fantasy novel. Right? It's a great example of the way you, 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 you can get in there and you can, you can latch Jesus' message onto a, a different form of, of communication, a different medium that people are going to be interested in. The other thing I think we need to keep in mind as we engage in evangelism is we have to tell the story of Jesus in language that the listener is going to understand. That's straight from Acts 2. That's straight from the foundations of the church. On the day of Pentecost, before Peter could preach his sermon, the Holy Spirit had to come down and bless the apostles with the ability to speak in other tongues so that all the people gathered there, no matter their nationality, could understand what's being said. Right? It's only after and that also that incident also piqued the crowd's interest, right? You look at Acts 2. It's, you know, hey, what's going on here? Why, how is it that all these people can speak? Aren't they all, uh, you know, Galileans? So it's a model for us to follow. And I think it's something we need to keep in mind as we engage in these, these uh, evangelistic outreach. Because, again, the, if we want to follow the early church model, Acts chapter 2, after we speak in the language and we pique their interests, uh, then we can preach the gospel of Jesus. That ultimately culminates in Acts 2.38, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sins. Open my Bible so I make sure I get it right. Uh, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. That's the message we ultimately deliver, but there are a couple steps we have to take before that. If you heard that message and you're ready to repent and be baptized, we give you now the opportunity to come forward and engage in that step.
pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're so thankful for this time that we've had together here this evening to hear your word, sing songs of praise to thee. Father, let us be the vessel, the light, the inspiration for somebody to come to you, Father. Give us, give the knowledge and the wisdom to deliver your word in a way that it will prick somebody's heart so they'll want to come and be a member of your church. Father, we ask that you be with those that are sick those that are shut in and those that have, have special needs, Father, we ask that you be with them, bless them, and bless those that, that take care of them. Thank you for Jesus and the love that he had for us, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs> 